Hello everyone and welcome to episode two of Riding in Cars with Cats. My name is Mike Tanner, founder of One Red Cat Media, and I am in my car. And this is when you're mostly going to hear from me, is when I'm in my car, because it's the only time that I have any time to actually uh, be able to speak my mind. Most of the time, I'm singing children's songs to my kids or telling stories to clients. So this is my opportunity to share with you some thoughts and some ideas. So first off, I apologize if the uh, quality of the audio is a little iffy. Um, We will be working in the future on trying to get some slightly better audio in the car. Uh, Right now, you're probably hearing some revving engines and some, you know, blinkers here and there, but this is what you get. So, today I wanted to share part of a talk I had recently at WordCamp about pricing because pricing is what I hear about all the time. It's the constant question that I get from people that are just starting out. How much should I charge for things? And the answer is I'm not going to tell you how much you should charge for things, but I do have some ways that you can gauge whether what you're charging is the right amount. Sorry, quick drink. So. The first thing I will say, and this is what I said during the recent talk, is that whatever you're charging is not enough. And people think that comes from a place of greed, and it really, really doesn't. It comes from understanding that you're in a place of insecurity when it comes to your pricing, and that is why you're asking. 100% that's why you're asking. Because, and most people would think, well, if everyone is always charging not enough, then We're just jacking up prices. No, 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 no. People who ask, how much should I be charging, are not charging enough. People who don't ask that question know how much they should be charging, and they're charging it, and they're getting it. They're getting paid the amount that they should be getting paid. I understand that, you know, I I come from a corporate background, so I was a manager, trainer, etc. at a, a few different companies. And when I say companies, I mean faceless monoliths where there's a, you know, a company color that you wear or there's a company logo and there's all these different things. Um, that's the background that I have. That's where, that's where I come from. And in that vein, I come from a background of me getting paid one thing, but my work being worth something different. I've been put out as a consultant on behalf of companies I've worked for. I know how much they've I know how much they've paid me for that work. I also know how much they're billing for that work. And that is a huge gap in between. And for a long time I always thought, well, you know, that makes sense. Like the the owner of the company gets a certain amount of money for you know, for, for hiring me and putting in the effort, and that's 100% true. But now it's on you. So now that you're not working for a company, you need to understand that it's you putting the risk, it's you putting the work, it's you putting the effort, you did all the groundwork, and you deserve to get paid uh, a fair amount for that. So that's the first part of it, is that if you, if you ask the question how much I should be charging, the answer is definitely more than you are. Uh, the second part that I use to judge whether or not or what you should be charging is 
is how much it costs you. Some things cost you something to do. If we do uh, social media marketing for a company and we're doing paid ads, well, we have to pay for those ads. So there's a certain amount that we have to cover in order to, to go through with that. Do not take on projects that are a loss unless you are absolutely passionate about those projects. And it's totally fine to be absolutely passionate about those projects. I recently took on a project um, that I, you know, I won't really share here, but was very much a, a passion project to me. It was very much trying to help out a community and a movement that I thought really, really needed that help. But I also knew they didn't have that money. Um, and so I, I went ahead at something that I didn't take a loss on it, but it certainly wasn't something that I that I made very much on. And in that, I, I want to make a couple things clear. Number one, I absolutely believe in doing pro bono work. I absolutely believe in scaling your prices so that they fit to the, the company that you're going to work for. Um, especially, there's two there's two things here that are very very different that I want to make very very clear. There is a difference between not having any money and not having any budget. They're not the same thing. If someone tells you they don't have the, they're not budgeting for that, they don't have the budget for that, I'm sorry, but you have budget for other things. If you have budget for other things, that, that's where you're at. If you tell me you don't have the money for that, that's a very different conversation. I do a lot of work for charities and not-for-profits. If a not-for-profit says, we don't have the budget for that, but I know that they've got budget for staff and they've got budget for marketing and they've got budget for advertising, but they don't have budget for a new website. I, I'm sorry that you don't have budget for that, but I, I can't help you. Whereas if I'm working with someone who doesn't have money for that thing, someone who quite literally just doesn't have the physical money for for that to happen, and these are, you know, these are variable things. If it's something I feel passionate about, I absolutely don't mind going ahead and doing it anyways. Um, I just don't want to necessarily lose money on those, unless I've made it just a straight up charitable donation. There's a couple charities that I've said, look, I'll do your hosting, I'll do your web development, I'll do all that for you, and that's my donation to your project. And so, time is the, is the best commodity that I have, uh, and, and, you know, my, sort of craft so in those cases that to me is a is a is a big donation but try to do your best to make sure that you're at that you're covering the expenses you want to cover and that you're making an amount off that that you you feel comfortable making the, the third part when it comes to pricing is understanding that I use that that covering cost things as a very very entry-level baseline I don't use that to determine how much I should be charging, and no brand worth their metal uses what it costs to determine what what it costs. You know, what they pay to make it has very little to do with what they sell it for. You know, if you take companies like Nike and uh, you know different different companies that may, for example, use. Uh, sweatshop labor for some of their work that sweatshop labor doesn't necessarily diminish the cost of a pair of Nike shoes it doesn't mean that you're gonna pay less for a pair of Jordans if they were made for a dollar versus they were made for $15 it might change whether or not you're gonna buy them it may change your perspective on those things 
but how much it costs them to make has minimal bearing on how much they're going to charge it for. Nike has built a brand. They've built an understanding. This is the value of that product, whether it's actual or whether it's imagined, whether it's, you know, the status symbol of the swoosh or whether it's, I should have said swoosh. Who says swoosh? What the hell? Anyways, whether it's the status symbol of the swoosh or whether it's the fact that you really, really like them. You know, I have a lot of friends that wear shocks and they tell me that, I don't wear them, but they, they tell me, well, these are the most comfortable shoes I've ever worn and that's why they wear Nike shocks. It has nothing to do with the check mark. Um, and that's great, that's, that's fine. I, I know other people that very, very, very much wear shoes based on, on, on what they look like. You don't buy a pair of chucks usually because they're gonna, they're gonna be the best shoe for walking around the city that you're ever gonna have. You buy it because it's a pair of chucks. So I want, I want to first off just get that idea out of your head. Get the idea out of your head that the price is made up of how much it costs you to do this. Um, because you will absolutely undervalue the important parts of that if you think that way. If you think that, if, if I thought that the price of a website was a proportion of how many hours, the, the resources, the physical resources, my graphic designer, etc. If I thought that that was the value of a website, I would charge significantly less for websites. And honestly, I'd make some pretty terrible websites. The value in what I do is based on the value in what I do. It's what I bring to that individual. And that's true of every single product, every single thing you're gonna do. If you knit hats, it's not about how many hours and how much the wool costs. It's about what a great finished product that is and how much someone would appreciate that finished product. Um, it's about the value that you bring with that. And, and that's a huge, that in connection with that first point we kind of talked about in terms of the, uh, you know, the idea that we don't, we don't value ourselves enough. We don't value ourselves enough, and hence, we don't value our products enough to actually, you know, feel that they're good enough to, to be thought of in that way. And that's a damn shame, because I've seen people do incredible work that they're just not charging enough for. Um, you know, I, I've seen artists, etc., who you know, they want to sell more and more of their work, so they really lowball these things, and they, they really say, well, this is how much this these prints are worth, and you look at them and you realize, like, this is an incredible, incredible talent. This is, this is one of the most beautiful works of art I've ever seen, but they're not charging a lot for it because they, they don't look at it that way. They don't look at the value. They don't look at, at those sorts of things, and that, that to me is a, you know, a, a huge loss on their part. So, that's the sort of the third thing that I use to, to figure out prices. And I think that when you line up all three of those things, you start to be able to come up with pricing that reflects what, you, what you're worth. I think of things like where I wanna be and what I wanna do. And, and I actually use that to inform my pricing. I use that to say, you know what? I want to have these these things. I want to be able to afford this for this. I want to be able to get my son this or my daughter this or 
my wife this and that absolutely informs my pricing because I realize like look I can bring this much value so I deserve to be paid that much and this is something that happens both in you know I'm talking about mostly things from a freelance world from an agency world you know from a from a production standpoint but these are things that absolutely make sense if you're an employee if you're an employee you should think to yourself what you're really worth and and talk about the value that you bring to a company so the last company that I worked for and probably the last company I'll ever work for as an actual employee uh, was this computer shop that I worked for learned so so much in this place had an incredible boss by the name of Chris Duffy, who put value on things that I had never seen a business owner put value on before. Uh, for example, we could have done a, probably a lot more business if we had been open in the evenings, if we had been open on weekends, and our boss said, no. Uh, my employees deserve their weekends, they deserve their evenings, they deserve to come here refreshed, they deserve to leave here and not be thinking about work all the time, and, and so that's the, the climate that he built at this business. And it's funny because by saying you deserve to leave here and not think about you know what's going on at work made me want to think about what was going on at work and made me want to work harder at what was going on at work and really push the limits on on what I could do in that job and it, it made a huge difference in in how I actually approached that that job but at one point I was asked to uh, they, they, there there are a few mistakes that, that every business I think will make and one of the ones that this particular business made is that they aligned wages with a certain position. Uh, so what it basically was is when you started working for this company, you typically started on the sales floor. You were downstairs because it was it had you know multiple levels. You were downstairs, front facing, consumer facing. When someone came in and they wanted a MacBook or they wanted an iMac or they wanted a, an iPad or whatever the case may be. Uh, you were the person that, that talked them through that, sold it to them, all that kind of stuff. You sold them the Apple Care, you sold them the accessories, you sold them all those kind of things. And that was your sort of entry level into the, into the, uh, into the business. And it paid relatively well. And you would get raises as time went on, but the big way you'd get a raise, and it was considered a promotion, was to be moved from sales into tech. And the reason that was a big promotion, or the way it was thought of, was that most of these people that worked at this job really loved Apple computers, but didn't necessarily want to work with people. They weren't front-facing people. They were people that wanted to work on computers and play with computers and do these kind of things. So for them, a promotion was to take them out of front-facing, consumer-facing position and make them fix computers, which is where most of the money that we made was, was made. But for someone like myself, I got fat fingers. I suck at fixing computers. I did build my own MacBook Pro from, from parts, but honestly, once you've had a little bit of training in it, a few years ago before they made some changes to the casing and stuff, that wasn't that hard to do. That was actually pretty easy to do. So, but I was not a good technician. I, I didn't have the right mind for it. I didn't have the right physical skills for it. I didn't have the right mental skills for it. And so, we moved me upstairs, I got my promotion, I got my raise, I got all these different things, and I moved upstairs into this job. Another guy that we had downstairs was a great technician, very technical-minded, very analytical, 
not super outgoing, not super great with, uh, with customers, with clients. And so they had him downstairs and they had me upstairs. And eventually what the company decided was, look, we're not going to take away the promotion we gave you. We're not going to take away your raise and all that stuff. We're going to move you back downstairs where you're able to do what you can do because we're finding sales are suffering a little bit now that we've moved you upstairs. Because the guys downstairs just aren't, they're not front-facing people. This is, they're, you know, they're people who are going to be great when they move into a technical role. So that was fine. I was actually happy to do that. I was happier downstairs working in sales and, and working with people than I was uh, building and fixing computers. You know, putting a new screen on a MacBook Pro was not as satisfying to me as helping someone purchase their first computer, for example, their first Mac computer. So that was fine. But I also got to a point where I realized I'm doing more down here than, than probably some of the other people that I'm working with. You know, I've been brought down here because things aren't going particularly well from a sales perspective and there's things that I do on a regular basis that are not expected from me from this position. So I actually went to my boss and said, I want, I want a few things. I think I'm more valuable than what I'm currently being paid, so I want a raise. I want a raise by this amount. It's a relatively small amount, but it was a raise nonetheless. And most people don't go to their boss and say, I want a raise. More people should, most people don't. So that was the first component of it. The second component of it was, you know what? I wanna have a little more flexibility in my time. So I want an extra hour, in addition to being paid for, you know, extra for this, I want one hour off per week um, to do whatever I want. So if that means I get to take an extra hour long lunch one day and do two hours, fine. If it means, I, you know, I bug out early on a Friday or I show up late on a Monday, then I, I get to go ahead and do that. That was thing number two. And that was basically met with, sure, that's a pretty reasonable request. And the third, this is where the big value for me came in, was that I didn't want to be known as a salesperson or a sales associate or whatever. I really felt I was a sales manager at this point. And at the very least an assistant sales manager because we had a technical sales manager. Um, but on the floor, front facing, I was the person that everything kind of went through. I got to make decisions, I got to make purchasing decisions, I got to make sales decisions. I got to make a lot of decisions and, and I thought that that was worth something to me. And to me, there's always been value as being recognized that you're doing something for the company you're working for. And so this is what I said. I want to be recognized, I want to have a name, I want to have this, I want to be the assistant sales manager. To which I was told, sure. And I said, look, I don't want to raise associated with that directly. I don't want it to be that I want to be a manager because I want to make more money because we tend to associate those two things and they're not the same. Uh, I used to work for a company that when you became a manager, you got this big raise. You did less work. The work you did felt much more meaningful and you got a big raise. And to me, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Why would I get paid more to do a job that is better? It's never made sense to me. Whereas the people who are working very, very hard, doing a job very, very well, that is not a very good job, continue to get paid the same. So I've never been a big fan of, uh, you know, pay based specifically on those things. Getting paid a little more because of a, my, my greater value to the company is one thing, but literally just getting paid more because I, I, you know, I changed titles and now I'm a manager instead of a production. Stupid.
there's a really great book called uh, by Yvonne, I can't pronounce his last name, I want to say Corvonier, Cur Cornovier. Uh, he was the founder of Patagonia. He wrote this awesome business book called Let My People Go Surfing, which basically helped him define his, his business culture. And in this book, one of the things he talks about was the way that he actually managed teams. So for most companies, they do exactly what I just described to you as what this other company did, which is when you're a really good customer service agent, you're so great at this job, we'll go ahead and give you a raise and promote you to a customer service manager. What you're doing is you're saying, okay, you're gonna stop doing this job that you're really, really good at, and we're gonna give you money on a bet to see if you might be good at this job that we have no idea if you're any good at. And this is a common thing. Most people get promoted. It's called the Peter Principle, I believe. And most people get promoted into a, eventually into a position where they fail. They get promoted into a position that they're, they're not capable of completing. And what, what the, the founder of Patagonia did was he said, look, if I had a great fabricator who was great at fabricating carabiners for climbing, most companies would turn that guy, if he was the hands down best fabricator in your company, most companies would say to that guy, look, you're gonna be the foreman, you're gonna run, you're gonna help manage all of the of the carabine, carabiner manufacturers, fabricators we have, that's your job now, you're now running that thing. And what he did was not that, it was actually basically the opposite of that. He said, I'm gonna give that person a raise for doing that job exceptionally well. And I'm gonna go find a manager, someone who's experienced at managing and you know overseeing productivity, and that person's gonna be a foreman or a manager or whatever. You can't, you can't just take someone and say, you're really good at a task, so now you're gonna manage how to do that. Prime example, Wayne Gretzky is, in my mind, hands down, the greatest hockey player that has ever played the game. There's lots of metrics on whether or not he is or not. I grew up watching him play, and I've watched all these other players, and there's lots of reasons why he was the best. Number one, a lot of players were a lot worse. The level of competition, there was a much greater divide between the best players and the worst players. Some of the worst players didn't take it super seriously. Some of the worst players were brought on to just be goons, etc., protectors. Some of that still exists. The fact of the matter is Wayne Gretzky was an exceptional, exceptional hockey player. He was a terrible, terrible hockey coach. And I, I really feel like the reason is, in Gretzky's mind, you know, if, if Gretzky's talking to a bunch of players about why they should be better hockey players, he's gonna say things like, did you try being awesome? I was awesome, worked really well. Whereas you bring a guy in like Dan Bilesma, coached the Penguins to their first, uh, their first cup with, with Sidney Crosby. Bilesma was a grinder as a player. He was a player who had to figure out the tricks and the nuances of the game in order to actually be successful at it. So for Bilesma, it it was absolute it absolutely makes sense to be a coach because he knew what he had to do to be better and he knows that that's what players have to do to be better. And so these are all these different things is that the way we look at business whether it's where we work for a company and we're looking at getting a raise or looking at getting a promotion, I want you to think very carefully about the promotion you're dying to get. Are you dying to get that promotion because you think that that job is easier? Because you think that job is more rewarding? 
because you think that job brings a bigger salary with it? What's the reason that you're coming after that promotion? And I think if we all looked at those things a little more, a little more carefully, if we looked at those things with a little more structure and a little more uh, self-awareness, as Gary Vee tends to harp on about self-awareness, you'd start to realize like, most of us are trying to climb the corporate ladder for stupid, stupid reasons. We're trying to climb the corporate ladder because we want to have, you know, a better schedule or we want to have more pay or, or we want to have that next job up. But we're, we're never really looking at the whole picture on things. Um, I liked managing people. So for me, if my company had have said, we're going to get you to manage people, and instead of giving me a $15,000 a year raise, which is what I got for managing people, they had to give me a $1,000 raise a year and said, now you get to manage people and do the thing that you're, you're passionate about right now. I would have said, absolutely. But instead, they said, oh, well, now you do this thing, and now you get all this extra money, and you get all these different things. And that doesn't really matter to me that much. And so when you're thinking of pricing, pulling this all back together, I want you to think very carefully about, a whole, about all of the things we've talked about. Do you want to charge more for your service because you just want to have more money? Or do you want to charge more for your service because you think that the service you're providing is, is inherently more valuable than you're getting paid to do it for right now? What's the reason you want to do this? And and do you actually bring value with what you're doing? And I'll say this in a big, big way. Don't up your price if you have a shitty product. Sit down, work at that product. Don't make someone buy something that isn't worth it. Don't try and sell something that is subpar quality, but because other people sell it at such and such a price, you think you deserve it. The market will decide whether or not what you're selling is worth it or not. And you honestly have very little control over that part. If the market has decided that they're not going to pay what you want for what you're selling, you can't really control that. Uh, what you can control is that you're putting the ask out there. The other really nice thing, and this is the last little point uh, that I'll make about pricing, is that play with it. You have the ability to, to alter prices at will. Run some experiments. If you do business consulting and you do a, you know, an in-house consultation for, you know, a day is a thousand dollars, offer it at $2,000 next time to some company. Offer it to it at a thousand for another company. Offer it at 1500 for another company. See if people say no. See if people say yes. See if people even flinch when you change prices. I've yet to have a client that I think in the end would have been happy with any price who flinched when we've actually increased our prices based on the value that we're bringing people. That's huge. Nobody flinches. If you go ahead and give people the value that they're worth, if you can go ahead and say, okay, uh, you know, we're doing this service and it's $2,000. 
and you can say that with a straight face and you're not a salesman on it. You're saying that because you know that you provide them that value and you used to do it for a thousand or you're used to doing it for a thousand. Don't worry about it. They're going to pay it. End of story. Um, so I want to thank everyone for listening to episode two. You can find us all over the place on social at one red cat media, uh, pretty much all the major platforms. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear what you'd like to, uh, to hear us talk about next. I hope you enjoyed today and we'll talk to you soon.